Today is April 30th, 2017. The title of today's message is Royalty of Loyalty, an India Recap. Amen. Turn with me to Job chapter 42 and verse 5. We're going to start off there. Say there when you are there in the scripture. We had the, yeah, that, some of you guys are incredibly fast. That's there. blistering. We had the privilege of, of flying uh, almost 10,000 miles each direction. Uh, over 16,000 kilometers each direction. We had the privilege of driving about another 1,500 kilometers while we were there, round trip and going different places. So we've had a little bit of travel in our lives the last uh, few weeks. We've had some incredible things go on. And I want to start off reading the scripture, amen, in Job 42 in verse 5. Say, there when you're there. there. Amen, that's better than the first one. Here we go. It says this, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It's interesting that uh, in our lives we can hear a lot of things. And as Americans, we say that we know certain things. You know, like I know who the president is, or I know certain people that you see. The truth is, is the Word of God helps us to know it in a very intimate kind of way. Uh, I'd heard incredible things of our India missions. I just want to give you guys a few points on that. In 2010, we started a commitment to go to India. Uh, seven, almost seven and a half years ago. In that seven and a half years, uh, my family was privileged to take the 11th trip to India from LCM. You can go ahead and do that math, and, and we're, we're very committed to doing this. We've actually, uh, I was trying to calculate it this morning. The coffee hadn't kicked in yet, so I'm not sure that I got it all right. At least six months on the ground in India. I think it's actually closer to eight, but I'm trying to be conservative to not do that whole pastor thing where we expanded out too far. Over six months of actual boots on the ground, people from our church in India. Uh, our man of peace there is Anand Israel. What a great name, right? Anand, what a great man. He is the sixth generation Christian. He is the sixth generation minister that's there. His father, Raja, is a 70-year-old man, the fifth generation. They are training up Jaden as the seventh generation in a row, right? Seventh generation Christian and seventh generation minister from that family. Amen. Folks, can you say faithful? That is a faithful family, and it is our honor to be with them. There are over 22, right now there are 22 branch churches that Anand and Love and Care Ministries. Love and Care Ministries. So LCM in India has partnered with LCM here. We've partnered with them. Uh, there are 22 branch churches where Anand is hoping that they'll have another two or three by year's end. So Anand and his family are in charge of and responsible for 22 separate congregations. And that number is ever growing. I, can, I want to encourage you in this. They don't just uh, fly by the seat of their pants. They don't just see someone and go, hey, you want to be a part of our group? Please come be a part of our group. Because what happens is once they make a commitment to somebody, it is a lifelong type commitment that they make. Amen. Sounds very familiar, right? It's the kind of church that we are. What I found there, I was amazed at how similar Anand is to us how similar we are to him in that ministry there. Um, pastors and, and members of churches from the Arising Church, from New Life, from Submission Ministries, as well as life-changing ministries have been there in India. I want to encourage you on the way out. Um, we have pictures that are hanging on the wall right here in the lobby on your way out. Sometimes when you see something enough, it actually becomes invisible, right? You don't see it anymore. 
I don't know when the last time you stopped and looked at these pictures on the way in. If you're new here today, perhaps you did. You caught some of them because they were new to you. For all of my friends here in this place, uh, those pictures in the lobby, many of them are either from our missions in Mexico or our missions in India. The reason I bring that point up to you is you will see some pictures from the exact same spots, from the exact same perspective on a video that I'm about to show you as some of these pictures that are there. And you can see the progress. You can see the growth that the Lord has. So um, be gracious to me. Pull together a video for you. That is not my skill. That is not my mastery. And uh, I wanted to give you a quick glimpse of what happened to us here in the last few weeks um, with our mission trip to India. Wide-eyed and mystified May we be just like a child Staring at the beauty of our King Cause you are beautiful In all your ways King of kings You are
traveling over 1,500 kilometers in country, speaking uh, over 15 times in 11 days, meeting in pastor's homes, watching demons get cast out, watching people be healed before our eyes, watching people filled with the Holy Spirit, encouraged in every way possible. We come back to you today saying that what we did there is what we do here. That, that may be hard for some of you to comprehend, but we did nothing different there. We presented the Word through the law, the prophets, the writings, Older and Newer Testament. We encouraged people to be filled with the Spirit of God. We wanted people to show and be, uh, have the very works and the power of God demonstrated in their midst. Um, if you'll turn with me, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'll explain more of some of those pictures there. For those of you who've been, some of those places, some of those people may look very familiar to you. If you haven't, then I understand, and we'll, we'll explain that more as, as our day goes on here. 
But I want to start it off, I wanted to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 9. Did the video put you to sleep? No, okay, so Deuteronomy 7, 9. Say there when you're there. Amen. Verse 9 says this, Know therefore. Everybody say no. When you know something, you deeply and intimately understand what's going on. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. What an interesting statement, right? Apparently, as human beings, we need to know that the Lord our God is actually, in fact, God. We were in India where there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of gods. And if you listen to that initially, it sounds like that's a very different kind of setting. I can encourage you that it's no different than here. Theirs may have a formal name. They may have formal idols that you can see everywhere that you go. But I can assure you it's no different than our country who decides what we want our gods to be at a very individualized level. But know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Everybody say faithful God. He is a faithful God. He's faithful whether you're here in the States and you're going through difficulties. He's faithful when you, with, with you when you're in India and facing the very legions of hell. He's with you. He is a faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. I'm sorry to be so moved at the moment. <laughs> he is a faithful God. He is a faithful God where you are. Let me encourage you that many people actually, I know as simple as this scripture is, as many times as a church as we've read this scripture, right, talking about his covenant of love to us. As many times as we've read this, the reason that I'm overwhelmed is because I also understand not only I got to see a picture of that, that God has been faithful to lead my family here to be a part of this incredible church, that when we go across the ocean, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in India, whether it's in Indonesia, whether it's in Turkey, wherever we are, we see the same God that we see here. We see him at work there. We see the same miracles here that we see at work there. But so many believers get to the point and they don't actually um, think that we serve a faithful God. Now, they may be able to say it with the best of them. Yes, God is faithful. But when you watch their lives, they really have a problem with understanding that God is faithful And he will keep his covenant of love to a thousand generations for those that love him and keep his commands. If you love him, which by the way, the New Testament and the Older Testament alike tell you that if you love, you will obey. That love and obedience is the same thing in the kingdom of God. And that's what it says here. If you love him and keep his commands, that seems like it's two things, right? That's really just one thing, folks. If you love him, you're going to keep his commands. There is no other way to do this. But if we actually believed in our lives that God would be faithful, there are people in this room, I'm talking about home folk. If you're a visitor, we love you. We're glad that you're here. We hope you come back. Amen. I'm going to talk to our home folks for just a second. We have trouble with discipleship in this church, some of us. We have trouble receiving correction in our life. You know why? Because you don't actually think, truthfully, you say it, but you don't actually believe that the Lord will be faithful and that if you submit to the right kind of leadership, that God will, in fact, keep his covenant of love to you. Because if you actually believe that, it is an easy thing to submit to leadership in your life. It's an easy thing for God to do something. It's almost like you start thinking about uh, Psalm 141.5 that says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. 
If you have trouble with correction, you may have a trouble with understanding that God is a faithful God. Hmm. Don't like it when you get corrected, do you? Well, of course not. Your flesh doesn't like it at all. But are you going to actually trust that God is faithful? I'm going I'm to live my life based on the fact that I will trust God over what I feel every time. Because what I feel is broken. On the inside of me, what I think and what I can perceive, good grief, how limited is that? Let's just say, for, for instance, that you are ten times better than me. Ten times. Fantastic. Congratulations. What was that, Keith? We'll call you by name in this place. Ten times better than nothing is what? <laughs> really, in comparison with God? We're going to trust our feelings. We're going to trust our own emotions. Those things are broken. You're going to trust your own logic? Really? Golly, Lord, forgive us when we do that. How about we trust that He is a faithful God? And if we actually can get this down in our spirit, I know it's such a simple term, right? Yes, God is faithful. No, no, no. He, my God. He is so faithful. When I am unfaithful, He remains faithful. He will not change His Word. Can you put up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 for me for just a second? Hopefully I'm calling out the right Scripture. If I'm not, then you'll forgive me. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Next verse. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him it has always been yes. He's speaking to the faithfulness of God. Next verse, please. For no matter how many promises God has made, it doesn't matter how many promises He's made. At some point, I can overcommit myself. You can overcommit yourself. We've made enough promises, and we've got more promises than we have the resources to do. Apparently, the Word of God does not have that problem. Apparently, God does not have the same problems that we do. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody say yes. Yes. That's That's a sign of faithfulness. But, but you don't understand my situation. I don't have to understand your situation. I can trust in the faithful God. And no matter how many promises He's made. Has He made a promise to you that He will heal your family? Well, then He will heal your family. I don't care what it looks like right now. How about you not lose heart? How about you not show that you really don't love Him and decide not to keep His commandments because you can't see how it's going to work out? How about you get off the throne of your own heart and let Him sit there because He's faithful and He can do it for you? Come on now. I've been gone a couple of weeks. Y'all got y'all to let me get back in this thing. Whatever the promise that He made to you, don't lose heart because He's faithful. It's not even about you. Just don't give up. Just don't decide that you're going to do it your own way instead of His way. That's the only thing that will cause these promises not to be. It's not Him. It's you when you, when you go your own way. He will keep His covenant of love to a thousand generations for those who love Him and keep His commands. You're either going to believe the Word of God or not. You're either going to trust that He is right and true or not. That is the thing that we have to deal with as Christians. The last two weeks, dealing with the difficulties that we've had, you're either going to trust that He is good and all He does, or you're not. There is no in-between, no matter how much we want to justify. Can you put Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4 on the screen? Amen. Yeah. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. That's one of my favorite songs that we've written lately. 
I love this song. Verse 4, he is the rock. Everybody say, he's the rock. He's the rock. What does that imply? He's stable. He's immovable. He's something that you can build upon. His works are perfect. Everybody say, his works are perfect. His works are perfect. If you're like me, this verse has been around, uh, uh, rolling around in your heart and your mind for a long time now, and especially the last few weeks. When I found out about the difficulties that our church was going on, this was the first thing that came out of my mouth. Because this is the first thing that comes out of the heart of our church. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just is He. He is a faithful God. Amen? This should be an encouragement to our souls today. One of the things that the Lord did while we were on this trip to India is He really opened our eyes. It was a beautiful thing. I cannot tell you how precious it is to be able to take your family with you and go on a mission trip. How many of you have been to Mexico with us and taken your kids with us? Many in the church. And if you haven't been able to raise your hand, we're going to have some trips to Mexico and you can rectify that. You can raise your hand next time. Amen? It is something special to take your family with you. The Lord was opening our eyes. I just had, as I was thinking about it, the Lord opened Hagar's eyes in Genesis 21. There was a well of provision right there that she couldn't see until the Lord opened her eyes. In Genesis 22, Abraham looked up and saw that there was a sacrifice caught in the bushes. Psalm 119, 18 says what? Lord, that you may open our eyes that we can see the wonders, the wonderful things found in your law. We could go through this. I could, I could give you a law, prophet, writings, scriptures on opening our eyes, but man, everybody knows that the Lord has to open our eyes. Uh, Joy, would you put Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18? It says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they may be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Isn't that great? Our God calls us to hope. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I actually want to take just a moment, if I can have that microphone, Pastor. Uh, I want to take just a moment. I want to have my, sh- my family share a little bit with you. Uh, we are family, so I'm going to have my family share with you and let, let you hear it directly from their mouths, some of the things that the Lord did. I'm going to ask Olivia to come forward first. Amen. She's wearing some of the authentic Indian dress that we got there. By the way, uh, Raja... Uh, Annan's father, 70 years old, is a beast when you go shopping. We went shopping and Raja was like, no, 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 that color, that color does not work for you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. No problems. Um, there was one of the cities that we went to, and uh, in that city we began to pray for a woman who was demon-possessed. Uh, she began to manifest in ways that you could literally see demonic presence on her life. You could see uh, the enemy that had bound her in so many ways. Uh, As we were praying for her on this one particular afternoon, I wanted Olivia to share what the Lord opened her eyes about as we were doing that. So, bold, strong, share. (laughs) Amen. um, So, we were praying for this woman, and um, while we were praying for her, I looked down and realized that she had these certain beads around her neck. And I really got this overwhelming power, or this overwhelming, like, feeling, like, I need to get those beads off of her neck. And then my other, like, self is like, what? But it just, that that didn't make sense. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's what I was feeling. Say what? Say what? Um, (laughs) 
And so I didn't quite know what to do with that. And so I kept dismissing it. And just all in all, I didn't know what to do with it. And it kept coming back up and up and up. And I was like, all right. And so I kind of told my dad, I was like, I need to get those beads off of her neck. Like, somebody needs to do this. And so they got the beads off of her neck. And then they handed it to the mom. Um, and once they took the beads off of her neck, I was like, oh, OK. All right, we're good now. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's cool. And then they handed it to the mom. And the mom was clutching on to them so tightly. And then I felt that spirit again, that same spirit, like, no, you need to go take those out of her hand right now. And in my mind, I started, like, um, I don't know. I was assuming she's an older woman. I was like, I'm not going to just go up to a woman and ask for something and just take it away from her. I was like, I just can't do that. Um, and then I felt that power in First Timothy 4.12. Um, Isaiah 119 all came to my head like if you are willing and obedient and then for though you are young uh, set an example those two scriptures flooded my head and I was like nope I have to go do this I have to be bold um, and so I walked up to her and I was like hi can I see these so, see those beads and she handed me the beads and then I just walked away uh, <laughs> I was like thank you um, I just kind of looked at her and I was like these are bad and I was gonna start talking and then I realized like no I don't I personally do not need to add anything to this. I was like, I just know I need to go grab those beads and take them away. Um, and so, yeah. So my daughter's a thief. <laughs> so what she saw was something that needed to be taken care of, and it was unusual for her. It was something that she couldn't explain naturally, but she knew that the Lord was laying something on her heart. I'm so proud of this young lady at 14. First of all, the part that she didn't tell is as we were laying hands on this woman uh, who was demon-possessed, she didn't necessarily knock people out of the way, but she definitely got right in the middle to make sure that she could have a part of the action of casting the demon out. And as we were there, the Lord began to speak to her. Folks, this is the right pattern. As you are in a situation, the Lord is speaking to you, and then what happens? Because she's trying to be faithful as a young lady. What led her? The very Word of God. Amen. The Spirit of God and the Word of God began to lead her into what she should do in a very specific, a very unusual way. You guys know my daughter. Those of you who know her, she's sweet. She's wonderful. There was a confidence and a boldness that I saw. Dad, I think I'm supposed to do this. My words to her were, go. And she did. And then when she came back and told me how it happened, I mean, I just, we just laughed. I was like, that is the greatest. She had the beads in her hands. Amen. You know, the fact that the Lord showed her something very specific and there was a stronghold in this life that there's something more than just beads going on. Something more than what our eyes can see. The Lord opened her eyes and she was a part of this young lady being set free. And you realize that the mom was also, you realized other levels of things through these, through these issues, but that was an incredible, an incredible piece. It's okay. Amen. Thank you. Olivia's a boss, man. Travels like an absolute beast. She does a great job. Um, I wanted you guys to hear from Gabriel as well. Uh, Gabriel was there and, and had a chance to share some thoughts with pastors and with some of the different congregations that we had. Uh, I want to say thank you to John and Joy uh, there and Justin and Ella and Peyton and Hannah as they work with our youth. Uh, I want to tell you thank you to you guys because the example that you're setting um, I don't say this because he was my son, but he killed it Amen. while he was there. No pressure. <laughs> I've, set, I've set the bar kind of high. So, so why don't you share uh, what the Lord, how the Lord opened your eyes on the trip? 
So the Lord opened my eyes on this trip, uh, and he allowed me to see uh, more demonic presence than I, than I normally do, interact with it than I normally do, and fight against uh, demonic forces than I normally see. And uh, I'd like to turn to a passage, 1 Samuel, 5, or 1 Samuel 5, 2 through 4. It says, Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early in that next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. So uh, something that popped out to me, I actually was reading this just as my daily reading when we were in India. And there are so many gods and temples. There, I feel like there's as many temples as there's fast food restaurants here. They're everywhere. Wow. And uh, they all have that kind of same spirit, the same demonic spirit that oppresses people. And so what I got from this is... Our family and our team was like the ark. We were in a foreign land. We were not where we were supposed to be. <laughs> and we were actually, because we were there to break the enemy. Amen. We were there to crush the enemy, and we have that power. Let's turn to Hebrews 10.35. says, do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. So I also was reading this when we were going, and I realized the overpowering uh, power that the Lord gives us whenever we apply these kind of scriptures to our lives. He gives us the power to stomp on the devil's head, to take back what, what he's stolen from the people, and equip them. Amen. The confidence that we were walking with on the street was from the Lord. You could see people coming the opposite way from us, and uh, demon-possessed people. They'd sneer at us and run to the other side of the street. They would get out of the way because they knew they would lose if they, if they faced us. Let's go to one more passage, 1039. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who believe and are saved. Amen. <laughs> Amen. When I hear my son, I, I think of uh, Joshua um, and Moses coming down from the mountain. And uh, in Exodus 32, uh, Joshua hears sound and is like, it must be war. Uh, I have a young man who hears sounds and everything, it's, it's wartime. And I, and I love that. I love that Joshua spirit about him. Um, it's true, the whole family, one of the things that the Lord opened our eyes to was to see there was some, uh, a beautiful discerning of spirits that the Lord allowed us to kind of walk in while we were there. We don't say that randomly. We don't say it um, in any other way than being truthful with you. We were able to see the men who were demon-possessed, those who were completely bound to these things. We could actually see it with our eyes. Uh, it was, a, it was a, very, a very beautiful thing that we had here. I'd like to ask my wife to come forward. She's going to share. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Not, not at all uh, embarrassed to get up in front of people. Um, um, and I want Christy to share with you as well. Amen. Uh, this trip from top to bottom was a blessing. 
Um, my friends tried to prep me a little bit on what to expect and, 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 and how to uh, engage with the culture shock that may be there. And um, they did it well because when I showed up, I was like, I knew that was coming. All right, I'm ready for it. <laughs> you know, we were in fight mode, so it was good. Um, I just wanted to say that this part of um, when we showed up and we started ministering from day one, we started uh, engaging with the people, engaging with the pastors, Pastor Annan and his family and his wife Pearl and, and their whole family. Uh, it's a multi-generational home that they live in. So they all live in one, in one house. So all the interactions that go along with that, that was really uh, a neat aspect to sit back and watch. And the way they just work together as a unit. Amen. They take care of each other. When one is in need, the other one steps up. Um, they knew that a big crew was coming, so uh, they had French toast for us that first morning because they thought it was a good way to acclimate you know, us to the culture. So it, w- it was just fun and sweet to watch that same spirit that this family has in that family. And uh, Wade said it earlier that when we, we got there, we started ministering, and we were, we were ready for anything. We were, you know, whatever the hardest way to do it, we're going to do it. Whatever the, they ask us to do, we want to do. And we found the Lord using us in the same way he uses us here. Amen. The Lord had called Wade and I from a young age to minister to ministers. That is what he's always set in our heart to do. And so we found ourselves in such a blessing of a church to be able to minister to ministers who are going to go out and change the world. Well, he set us in the same place. We were ministering at, minister, at uh, pastor's conferences. Uh, we got opportunities. Jody and I and Olivia got opportunities to speak to pastor's wives that are in India doing the same thing we're doing, taking care of the sheep, uh, knowing the, the, the hearts of the people and taking care of them. And we got to st- step in there and encourage them about how to be a good easer and how to be that good helpmate for their family and guess what that's what we do here it's the same types of things and um, so we got to do it on the conference level and when I say conference it's like this it's not thousands it's you know a hundred people which is amazing and they're going out and doing the will of the Lord and you're equipping them and our uh, mezuzah is uh, Ephesians uh, 4:12, talking about equipping the saints for, for their works of service. And that's what we got to do on that facet. Then we got to go out and minister to Annan and his family and his wife and, and Sheila and Shamala and the people in their own home and, um, and their ministry partners and people that they partner with as well. And then the third way that that was is that we got to also watch our future ministers. We've got to watch Gabe and Olivia um, start to minister ways I haven't seen before. And uh, I just, I was, I was picking on Eric a little bit last night, and I said, when Gabe got up and started speaking, he's always done it in youth, he's always done it other places, and it was one of my first times. But he starts having even little mannerisms, you know, like Eric when he's teaching. And I was like, ah, that's awesome. It's the same spirit behind it. So. That's right, that's right. But it was great from top to bottom, and uh, we just want to say thank you for praying. We felt it. We knew that uh, our hearts were with you guys as well as we knew that your hearts were with us. So we thank you so much, and I appreciate your love. Amen. Amen.
you get to learn some things when you go out and do uh, the will of the Lord. The Lord did not need us to be anybody else or do anyone else's task, but what the Lord required of us was for us to be us, for us to go in the power and the strength that we had to actually function in the role that He had for us. I want to encourage you guys. We trust that God is a faithful God. We didn't, have to, we didn't try to be someone else. We didn't try to do something else. We tried to put the exact the tasks that were before us and be faithful with those things because we trusted in God that what He had for us, that what He had lined out, that the healings that needed to happen, that the demons that needed to be cast out, that He put it before us, and He was going to be faithful. It was such a reassuring, such a calming thing while we're there, even in the midst of great busyness, um, that we can just trust that our God is faithful. I'd like to show you a few pictures. We'll just talk through some of these really quickly. Um, on the right, you see Brother Raja. Uh, this was on the Resurrection Sunday morning. Uh, many of them were dressed in white. I'll, I'll learn that if we go back at that time next year. I'll have, I'll have the white shirt on uh, to, to, show, to show the reverence there. Uh, Brother Raja is an incredible, an incredible man. He's been serving the Lord uh, as a minister for over 50 years. Uh, it is not unusual for him to go up on the roof where we are uh, it, was, it was incredibly hot while we were there. Uh, got to 46 degrees Celsius, so 115 degrees while we were there in Chennai. Amen. Amen. No air conditioning anywhere you go. Amen. Uh, feels like if you do get air, it's like someone turned on a hair dryer, so it's blowing hot air on, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if that's better or not. Uh, I, I really have a hard time kind of comprehending those things. But it's not unusual for Raja to go on the roof and to pray from midnight to 2 a.m. And he's done, as is his custom, he's done that for a long time. Just a man of prayer. Amen, brother. We will commit this to prayer. It, it means very much a different thing coming from Raja than it does from some of our Christian friends, right? I'll be praying for you. Okay. Look, uh, do me a favor. If you're not going to pray for me, just don't say it. Yeah. Or if you say it, then do it. Don't mind you saying it, but just make sure. Let's, let's not get in the habit of flippantly throwing out things like I don't quite know how to end this conversation, so I'll just tell you that I'll pray for you and then not do it. Let's be faithful in what we're doing and what we're saying, amen? And Raja was a man of prayer. Uh, the next, next picture uh, is our beautiful choir. Uh, Sheila is right there in the middle, uh, the second one from the right holding the paper. A servant, a wonderful servant of the Lord. Uh, it's an, inc in, an interesting culture. They would serve us and then they would stand around us as we were eating. We're like, no, sit down. And they would just sit there kind of waiting on you. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, uh, they're trying to show honor and it was kind of awkward for us as married. We're like, no, 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 we want to, no, come on, sit down. No, 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 this is part of their servanthood. This is part of showing uh, what the Lord has given them and their honor for the Lord by honoring us. Sheila was an incredible servant. There's a lot of folks in that choir. Everywhere we went, someone would start off by singing a song to us. Sometimes they would be in the middle of talking and just break out into song. And I can assure you, my friends, that uh, these were not all, um, you know, professional singers. They just sang because they loved the Lord. Amen. They just sang because it was the right thing to do and they were moved in their heart. Uh, it, was, it was some of the most beautiful things. You heard a few. We got a couple of clips of that in the video, just of people just singing. And um, the, the song at Pastor Josh's house there, I, just, I think it's one of the most hauntingly beautiful melodies. She was singing to us, and tears were rolling down our eyes. Just a beautiful... And actually, the only thing I could pick out in that song was Israel. She was singing about the God of Israel. And uh, it was just a beautiful time. 
The next picture. Uh, this is Pastor Solomon that's there uh, next to me translating. And uh, uh, Pastor Solomon is, has helped in years past. I don't know that he's been able to help every year because of you know, scheduling things. Uh, but he has grown into being just an incredible impactful translator. There's a special skill that's uh, involved in translating, matching the energy, matching the, the, the power of what's going on. And, and he was, I think there was a couple times where he just picked it up and ran with it for a little while. And I was like, hey man, do that. Do that. Keep, you go, preach better, go. You know, it was very exciting. Um, very gentle spirit. Uh, really, a truly a man of God. Um, next one. Uh, Babu. The third, third from the right, uh, you see Gabriel, then me, and then Babu uh, is just a servant. He is such a hospitable person. He looks forward to having every team. He told me about every team that has been through and, and at the table and what they like to eat and what they had there and everything. Like I, I know about uh, many, of our, many of our folks, as, as Babu was sharing, his son um, to the left, a couple of people there, uh, David got baptized on that Resurrection Sunday. Folks, when we talk about baptism here, you think about whatever you think about. In India, it is a, it is a huge, huge thing. Um, there were two people that got, uh, that were having their baptism service on Resurrection Sunday. They had come from Hindu families. And uh, to that transition, it was not a small task. It was not a small price that they paid. It was not unheard of for us to find people who were getting beat, especially women getting beaten by their husbands, uh, young ladies getting beaten by their fathers for coming to church and not going to the Hindu temples with them. And they never miss a service. Not that it got rainy and a little cold and a little chilly and we were a little late because we stayed up too late last night. They get beaten for going to church every time. And they don't miss a service. It's faithfulness, folks. This is the level of faithfulness that we want to demonstrate that we're demonstrating here at this church. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to let some silly thing that our American pride or our American thoughts kind of allow us to do. We have such low standards if you allow the world to set your standards. Right. You could just choose. If you don't feel well today, well, then don't come to church. Hmm, how about if you get beat? If you're beaten, if that's the promise for you coming to church, will you come? Here we have people who do. That's a good word. Man, what a beautiful thing. Um, one more picture. Uh, this is a young lady who was bedridden uh, just a couple of months before. Uh, God has been doing a progressive healing, progressive miracles. That she's, she's getting stronger week by week. Here she came in and had immense pain in her legs. Uh, she was throbbing and couldn't hardly... Oh, and by the way, she stayed the entire service. This was after the service that she stayed. Um, prayed for her. Gabriel and some of the team prayed for her. Immediately the pain left her. She was, she was feeling... She was at peace. She was so excited that the Lord had done this and that the Lord was continuing to strengthen her. Um, let's turn, uh, I want to share some scriptures with you. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 49, please. Isaiah 49. That's, that's a great chapter. <laughs> Isaiah 49. And let's take a look at verse 7. There's so much out of this chapter that we could read that would be pertinent today. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Listen to this next quote. Kings will see you and rise up. 
Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Uh, what we, we don't want to do right now in this, and, and although it was very real in India, we're not trying to tell you of, uh, we can tell you stories of abject poverty. We can tell you stories that would make your eyes um, fill with tears just by seeing things. The idea that we here in this room are in the top 1% in the world, it gets lost on us very easily. What we're not trying to do today is overly emphasize that, although we, it's easily done. You can see that people having anything. I can't tell you how many people we saw literally laying on the streets. Just that was their home. Homeless, uh, destitute, broken, uh, in every way an outcast of society, in every way an outcast of the world. And when you realize that they're the lowest of the low, not just in their country, but as far as the world is concerned, it moves your heart. But what we're trying to do today is show you that these people are actually noble, that the world is not worthy of them. The true believers that are there, the true believers that are there, um, can you, you see that the kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down. I can encourage you. Let me encourage you today. Uh, President Trump will have to bow down before some of the people that I'm about to show you. Amen. That the kings, that the czars of this world, that the emperors and rulers of this world don't hold a candle to some of the men and women who are there being diligent for their king because their king is faithful. Yes. Let me show you a few of these people. Picture number five for me, Joy. The man on the left, his name is Pastor Josh. At least that's what he told us his name was. That's the name he goes by, amen, for us Americans to help us out. Uh, Pastor Josh was an incredible man of God, full of God's spirit, full of God's power. The lady in the purple, third from over, his, that's his daughter Priscilla. She was asking and begging for the Lord to give her a husband who is a pastor. This is still a society that arranges marriages. I'm not completely against that idea the more that I see how it works. I did get a verbal okay from my daughter, Olivia, and I'm saying it publicly. She's like, you know, after talking to these, she's like, I can kind of see how arranged marriages would work. Done. <laughs> Done. Thank you, Lord. So I will be arranging my daughter's marriage. And uh, Anna's next, so don't you worry about that. Um, but they're praying. They're praying for a godly husband. Uh, this family that was there as we began to pray for Pastor Josh, you felt the anointing and the power of God fall. We're outside on their little terrace. There's not much of a house behind these doors. But where we're sitting there, you can feel the power of a mighty king fall as affirmation that Pastor Josh, that this man will be the kinds that, that kings will see them, princes will see them and bow down before them. Because this man loves the Lord. He suffers greatly and he loves the Lord and never complains. He does exactly what the Lord has called him to do. The next picture. <laughs> wow. This is uh, um, Pastor Raja Manunkin. I hope I'm saying that right, and I'm probably not, but you will just have to forgive me. Here in this picture, he is singing a song over us. His father was a Hindu priest. This man got incredibly sick as, as a young man, and they were praying, they were offering sacrifices to him to be healed. He heard about a God who is above all other gods. He called out to the one true and living God. And the Lord of all creation healed this pastor. Healed him physically, transformed his life in an instant. And so what he did was 
I'm going to serve the one true and living God. And he went and he's dedicated his life. We were out in, in um, I can't even tell you how small this room was. If you sit down and extend your legs, and someone ex- sits down and extends their legs on the other side, your feet are probably meeting in the middle of the room. And this was the church building that we were in. And he's sitting here and he is singing a song of praise to God and a song of blessing over us. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment there. Uh, this pastor is going to be one that the kings of this earth are going to have to bow down before. He's nothing in this world's eyes. He's got a church of 15 people. And he's, and he's the salt of the earth. And he's somebody who's worthy to be supported. Hey man, the next picture. <laughs> pastor Raju. Pastor Raju and his wife and family, they work in Sri Lankan uh, refugee camps. The Sri Lankans have been kicked out of their country and so they do not have a home there. They've come into the southern part of India and India doesn't want them either. They're a group of people who have no home, who have no country. And so Raju and his family have been working for years to go into those camps, the refugee camps, and bring the light of the gospel to them. It says you do have a place to belong. We have someone who's actually made a way for you to be part of this family. And they are powerfully effective. They work and they bring the children and have what we would call vacation Bible schools by the hundreds of kids that come out and share the gospel. They've dedicated their lives. I promise you that the kings of this world will bow down to people like Pastor Raju. Next one. This is our pastor's conference. There were about 60 pastors that were there from all over the country. Many Pastor Eric know, Pastor Matt may know from the years that we've been there before. An incredible time of God reaching out to these men at this pastor's conference. Encouraged, blessed. The Lord imparted many things to them. The next one. (laughs) This is Pastor John. Everybody say hi, Pastor John. Hi, Pastor John. Pastor John is a real apostle in that area. He knows everybody. Everywhere we went with Pastor John, people were stopping him. We couldn't drive very far because we'd stop and he'd have to get out of the car and talk to people. And then we'd get back in the car and we'd drive for another 45 seconds. We have to stop. And get out of the car because that's just kind of... And here, he and his wife, um, they've baptized hundreds and hundreds of people. I think they said 800 people. Uh, In a country where baptisms are something that are very special, very unique, shows you that he's been at work for 40-something years for the house of the Lord. Uh, My heart went out to him because the Lord, he's praying to the Lord that, that he can help him raise up a successor, someone to take over these ministries that he's raising up, that he's a part of. Pastor Anand has made a special connection with Pastor John, and there's, there's some special things that are going on there. Um, just, it's in just incredible what the Lord is doing. Let's get back to Scripture. Um, let's turn to Psalm 145 and verse 13. Are you all staying with me? Yes, sir. This is not boring you, is it? No. We're sharing with you about what the Lord has done in our midst uh, collectively as a church, not just with the Sutherland family. Psalm 145 and verse 13. <laughs> says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your domain of dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all His promises. Everybody say all. all. He is faithful to all His promises. And loving towards all He has made. We got to experience this here as seeing God be faithful. I want to encourage you guys that the Lord has lavished His faithfulness upon us. He is lavished. Do you all understand what that word means? It's lavished. It's not just someone gave you something. I can give you something. We were given things. We will give you things. That's that's different than lavished upon it. 
It's an exceeding abundantly amount that's poured out. The Lord has lavished His faithfulness upon us. He is promising to do this. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 7. The Lord has lavished. Everybody say lavished. lavished. He's lavished His faithfulness upon us. In verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of, it, of His uh, will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The Lord has lavished His gracious, gracious redemption upon us. He's lavished these things. Everybody say lavished. lavished. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 John 3 1 says this How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Everybody say lavished. I think you could say it better than that. Come on, say lavished. lavished. The, the God of all creation has lavished His love upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Amen. Come on, if God has lavished something upon you, if I lavish something upon you, don't you feel obligated at least a little bit to respond? Oh, yes, yes. To at least say something kind in, in, in return? To at least do something that shows that you understand that you were just lavished upon? How much more? How much more should we do when the Lord has lavished His faithfulness upon us? When He's lavished His gracious redemption upon us? When He's lavished His very love upon us? What is our obligation then? If He has lavished these things upon us, what are we supposed to respond with? We're supposed to respond with our very lives. He deserves nothing less than our absolute all. Not just us saying all, but actually to the, to the death, to the life, whatever it may be. God deserves this because He has lavished His very presence upon us in these ways. While we were there, I have to be honest with you, this idea of lavish just was, was settling in on me. That we've been there, that this church has made commitments of, of untold amount of our finances. We're the kind of church where the pastors are going to drive old vehicles. And if you see us driving something that's not an old vehicle, it's probably because someone gave it to us. And it's probably got over 150,000 miles on it. <laughs> and all, of our, all of our cars do as pastors. You know why? Because we would rather, we've seen the Lord lavish upon us, and we would rather give money to a place like India and let them enjoy it versus us just building wealth for us. Right. It's an awkward thing when you tell someone you're a pastor nowadays. That's not a good thing, just to let you know. That is not a good conversation starter. Hey, I'm a pastor. People immediately throw up roadblocks. They immediately say something and they're like, oh, you're one of those, huh? No, I'm not. That's not the kind of pastors that we have here. That's not the kind of leaders that we have here. As a matter of fact, we try to do everything the way the Word tells us. And if we're not doing it, then we're trusting God that He'll tell us and we'll, we'll reform anything that we need to to go according to His Word. But we, are, we, have, <laughs> we try to lavish our love upon the Lord by being obedient to what He said. On this trip, it became, uh, I, I am, have been fully committed to India since we've been here for about two and a half years now. 
We've lived here for two and a half years, going on three years, and I have been fully committed to India. Fully. My whole heart. We support them monthly. There are extra offerings that we bring. But can I tell you that having a corporate commitment to something is different than having a personal, personal commitment to it? Can I tell you that not only did the Lord open our eyes, but He opened our hearts on this trip and said, yeah, now I know Anand. We spent many hours talking, laughing, praying together. I know Raja, a renaissance man of, of things that he can do. I know the family now. It, becomes, it, it shifts differently. Let me, I want to try to help you to understand this. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. While we're turning there, um, Joy, can you put up those last couple of pictures there for us? For us? <laughs> this is us on a waterfall by one of the churches. There was a giant uh, denominational church, a Catholic church right beside it. And we were heading up the stairs. They were like, oh yes, the church is up there. I was like, this thing is giant. What are we doing? Like, I don't understand. And so we got all the way up about a hundred of these blue steps. And we turned and they were like, Yes, it's this church right here. And I was like, oh, this looks like the outhouse of the big Catholic church. I was like, oh, that makes more sense. I was like, amen, let's go here where there's life and where there's power. We actually... Oh, did I say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? Okay. <laughs> where there was actually life and power. We were preaching and we kept going and and it's so much so that the scenario is, is that you have to be done preaching by 11.30 because the Catholic church then turns off the power for the church. So we just kept preaching until they uh, rang bells and finally turned off the power. It's all right. We'll just keep going because everyone going up, we're like, we want them all to hear. Well, then we, we stepped outside and we stepped in this giant, beautiful building. And there was like, there was four people in the building. I was like, hey, man. Where there's real life, it doesn't matter about the building you're in. Right? We're not here to try to build a building. We're trying to hear, we're here to build people. Don't think we haven't, don't think that this is unintentional what you see in this building. We're just determined that we're not going to spend a great deal of finances on things that don't matter. We're going to spend our finances, we're going to spend our energy, we're going to spend our heart, we're going to spend our lives on things that actually matter which is you fulfilling your calling in the Lord. Amen? One other picture. This is one of my favorite pictures on the trip. We were up at a, at a beautiful place. Uh, this is, Annan took us to a spot where he goes and prays when he's in this area. And we had to climb up halfway up a mountain. I was like, Annan, you're that... Look, you're not suffering, brother. This, this is the most beautiful place. I loved it. We were there. Uh, ben and Jody on the right. They are elders from the Rising Church. Uh, became dear friends on the trip, incredible people, and uh, just seeing what the Lord has done. But in 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's look at verse 1. Are you there with me? It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Well, that's an interesting thing. You know what happened in 1 Samuel 17? You get David and Goliath. You get, you get that beautiful story that had happened. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved David as himself. Amen. From that day, Saul kept David with him uh, and did not let him return to the father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant. Everybody say covenant. covenant. With David because he loved him as himself. 
there's something that becomes very important. Uh, we've made a covenant with the church with Anand and with India that we're going to support them. Uh, by the way, uh, the Sutherlands have a 10-year visa, so you can go ahead and start praying now. You can go ahead and start setting money aside because we will begin to go every year. We're going to continue to go to India. There's going to be chances for you. If you didn't go, do not feel discouraged. Just set your, set your funds aside because we're going to go, I'm sure, the first quarter of every year. So you can just go ahead and put that down because we've committed to do that. We have a lifelong commitment. Our church, much like what Anand and Love and Care Ministry does, we are slow making commitments to people. You know why? Because when we do, we feel like it's a bond before God Almighty and we are not allowed to break it. We're not going to... By the way, when we make a commitment to you to be your pastors, I know it's difficult sometimes to be under us as pastors. I've had friends here in this church, Pastor, you, you preach mean. Oh, amen. Amen. Praise God. Pastor, you guys are so serious. Y'all are so... Man, there's always this intense discipleship. Can't y'all just relax? No. We'll have fun while we're doing it, but that doesn't get you where you need to go for us to relax. You're going to relax enough on your own. Amen? Amen. You know it's true. But what we do is we make a commitment to you. We're the kind of church who is going to correct you, who's going to call sin out in your life, and we'll also be there to help you move. Won't we, Gabriel? We'll also be there in your dark days, in your tough days. We're going to be there for you because we've made a commitment before God Almighty and we will not back out on that. We will go to the ends of the earth for you. Now, if you don't like... Everybody likes that part. We like the idea that we're going to be with you, but we don't like the other part of this. We're saying that we're fully committed and in a covenant with you. You know why? Because we're going to love you like like we love ourselves. This is going to be something special to us. Jonathan had a special relationship. Maybe you've, maybe you've come today. Maybe you've come here before because of, uh, just because of a love or a, an invite of a single person. Single person invited you. Maybe Abimbola invited you to church. Abimbola invites tons of people to church. This is the kind of church... Hey, th- this is the fun part about our church, by the way. Don't get discouraged in inviting people. We are not for everybody. I get it. Uh, for every 25 people you invite, maybe one will show up. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you guys are better at that than me, maybe. But, you know, for every 10 that show up, for every 100 that show up, one will stay. Hey, man, keep inviting. Yeah. It's okay because we're not looking just to build numbers in a chair. We're trying to build people that we can have a covenant with and get to the... We're looking for discipleship, man. We're looking to do this right and get to the finish line. Hey, man. Hey, man. Maybe you've come here today and uh, it's because of a single invitation. It's because of somebody who did something, and uh, I, I equate this kind of like to being engaged. Uh, maybe you started dating us. Man, I remember when I started dating Christy. Golly, I loved her. Golly, I didn't know how much more I would eventually love her, but at that moment I knew I loved her all that I knew how to do. Maybe you're here and you love the church, and, and you, you're, you're kind of in that relationship. Let me encourage you. Uh, we're going to see some other steps here that move us along in this. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. So first of all, Jonathan and David, they had a covenant together because they loved each other. Because they were such friends, they were committed to each other. Man, I got you back. We are together. I got this. We're gonna, this is something that we want to invest in for the rest of our lives. Amen. We'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's start in verse 12. 
Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed, disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Let's look at verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Now wait a minute, I thought Jonathan and David already had a covenant. There was already a commitment to each other. Man, we are committed. We are together. What does it say here? Jonathan made a covenant with what? If you really love somebody and you're progressing in what goes on, you not only make a commitment to the person, but you know what you have to do? You have to make a commitment to the place that created that person. Man, I, I was head over heels in love with Christy. Oh my gosh, I committed to her. We got engaged. I'm like, this is the best day of my life. This is incredible. And then we got married and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm just more than committed to Christy. I've just bought into her whole household. Right? I married married her family. And what happened? She married my family as well. How do you feel about your commitment now? I love, man, this is great. Not so sure about all that. This, man, I'm committed to. If you don't ever move from just being committed to a person or being committed to attending church, let's say, and understand that you need to be committed to the house that created that person, you have not actually moved far enough in your relationship. I can't just take my wife and not take her family. You know what I've done? What I've made my goal in life to do is to try to treat her family like it was mine. I try to treat her father like he's my father. If he doesn't finish well, then I've failed. He's not my father. There's no DNA that connects us. But you know what? I've decided that I've been going to be committed to the house of my wife. How about you? How committed are you to the house? Oh man, we love you. Man, this is great. Love this church. Y'all are cool. How committed are you to the ways of the house of David? That's a good word. This is a different thing. I, uh, if you want to put it in this, man, you could date us all you like. Uh, how many people have come through this church and dated us? Yeah. Lots and lots. If we had everyone who has dated us in here, we'd have to have seven services and a much larger building. We, we couldn't fit them all. If we actually had everybody in here, someone who's been healed, spirit-filled, saved, delivered, encouraged, pastor, we're with you. Yeah, let's see. You might be committed to me, but are you willing to move to being committed to the house? This is something that I felt like the Lord gave me fresh for us today for you. Not only did Jonathan commit himself to David, but he committed himself to the house of David. What does that mean? That means David's burdens now became Jonathan's burdens. That means David's debts, come on, now became Jonathan's debts. It means that David's victories also became uh, Jonathan's victories. It works both ways. We like to celebrate the other, but when you get married, (laughs) how many know you inherit some credit, good or bad? How many know you, you inherit some things and you better learn that you're going to be committed and work this through? Oh, I just want to be committed. No, that's not how the house of the Lord works. 
You've got to be committed to the house of the Lord. You've got to understand what the Lord is doing there. What made them who they are. I don't only want to be committed to Abimbola because I think he's a great guy because I love him with all my heart. I want to be committed to the house that's making him who he is. Come on, that's deep. That's a good word. Victories. When you get committed to the house, you get committed to the burdens of the people. You get committed to the liabilities. You take on something different. It's not just about you. It's about something different. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I saw something else this morning. We have Jonathan and David. Individual. I'm committed, man. We're there. Covenant. Amen. Well, let's progress a little bit more. Now I'm committed to the house of David. Amen. Let's look at... 1 Samuel 23, and let's look at verse 15. It says this, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. You know why he helped him find strength? Because he had already made a covenant to not only David, but to David's household. Verse 17, Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Uh, who was the one that was in rightful line for the kingship? Jonathan. When he said he's going to make this commitment, you know what he did? He said, I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to put what I am rightfully due, what every uh, facet of this earth will tell me that I rightfully possess, I'm going to put that as subservient to you. When you really make a commitment, you make yourself subservient to something else. Do you only like it when we're praying for you and you're getting healed? Or can you make yourself subservient to the house, trusting that God is faithful and He will work in this? He will use this thing. We're not saying we're perfect. We're not, there's nothing perfect about us. But that's not even the issue. If you make it about our perfection, then you've now taken your eyes off the faithfulness of God. This is the way. Don't be afraid. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Next verse. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. These are some covenant-making people. Five chapters, three covenants. Bam! Right? The two men made a covenant before the Lord. First covenant was between two men who loved each other. Between friends. We've committed our lives. The second commitment involved the burdens of the household. Of what made David, David. This covenant and commitment looks to the future. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. What about? About the rest of the lineage of these men. (laughs) It's almost like you've been engaged and then you get married and you realize you married more than just an individual person. You married a whole family. Come on, y'all know what that's like. And then you get to the point where you say, you know, I'm so in love with you that I want to create something that lasts longer than just us. I want to create offspring because I so love what's going on here that I want to produce something that is a replication of what's going on here. Amen. Do you understand this as far as... Then let's, let's look at this from this perspective. What about, what about our church? Man I, man, I love it here. I love this individual. I love Justin Linton. Y'all love Justin Linton? Yeah. Good grief. How can you not like that guy? Right? Grown in the Lord. Man, I, man, I love that. And you start falling in love with the house that created Justin. And you're like, oh, 
That's something special. That's a whole nother complicated thing that takes a while to work out. I don't even know how to do that, but, but I'm committed to working this out. And then what do you do? You realize that you fall so in love with this place that you want to recreate it wherever you go. That is the kingdom coming from heaven and coming on earth. That is how this has worked. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to have this type of covenant. We're supposed to have this type of commitment to each other. We had the commitment to start with, man to man. We added the burdens and the liabilities to it when we went to the house. And now we understand what it's like to sacrifice who we are for the future endeavors. It's almost like you have one life that leads to one family that can produce a godly nation. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to wrap this up. Matthew 24. I hope this is making sense to you today. What is your commitment level to the Lord? Are you just engaged? Are you just married? Are you producing fruit? Have you not even uh, met who we're talking about? (laughs) There's no relationship whatsoever. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then begins to beat his fellow servant and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect. And in an hour he is not aware of. Look, my friends, we've talked about the the faithfulness of God. What is our response to this thing? We know that God is faithful. If I can't prove that to you, then... If we, if we haven't already shown that to you and encouraged you in that, then, then it's just not going to happen today. But what is our faithfulness? What is our response to this of how faithful that we should be? Who is a wise and faithful servant? We've got to trust in the Lord that what He's given us to do, we will be faithful to carry it out. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And verse 13. says this, I know where you live. (laughs) Creepy. I know where you live. Of course he knows where you live. Where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You remain true to the character that I possess. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who is put to death in your city where Satan lives. It doesn't matter the external circumstances. Are you able to stand faithful at God's call? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says this, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. It's almost like He's lavished something upon us. We've been entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Amen. We can't just say, oh, the Lord is lavished upon us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We do not receive in this kind of a church so that we can just collect things. If the Lord has entrusted anything to us, it's so that we can prove, we want to prove faithful to Him. We want to faithfully administrate everything that He's given us. We want to give it all away. I want to end up each and every day having given everything that I have to God's people. I don't want to have anything left. 
I want to be proven faithful. It's required that those who have been lavished upon or have been proven faithful. Man, this is, this is something that moves my heart. It stirs my soul. Let's look in one last passage of Scripture together. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We were reading through the covenants, David and Jonathan Maine, personal, then to the house, then for the future, before the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 9 gives us a glimpse of what that looks like after some time had elapsed. Let's look at verse 3. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. It says this, The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? You know what Jonathan gave up? Jonathan had to sacrifice his very position so that God may be exalted in their covenant. He was the rightful king. He gave up his position as king because he understood what the Lord was doing. You know what David is actually asking here? David is really giving up his own security. And these days, it doesn't make much sense for you to go back to the family of people who were trying to kill you and incorporate them so that you may show kindness. It's not that he was going to go and kill the entire family. He's actually not just looking to go, hey, tell me where they are and I'll leave them alone. He's actually saying, I want to show kindness to them. Guys, it's not that we look for situations that are worthy. The covenant that we make is worthy for us to keep. The covenant that you make with the Lord is worthy of you to keep. I don't, it's regardless of your situations. Too many of us look at the situation and decide whether we're going to do it or not. We, too many of us look at that. It's the covenant that's worth us following. When you are here in a part of this church, when we send people out, the reason that we went to Indonesia, the reason that we will go back to Indonesia is because we made a promise to a family. I looked at a man in his eyes and say, I will make sure that you are fed before my family is. That is the commitment that our pastors have made. If it comes down to it, we pay our missionaries before we pay the light bill. That doesn't make much sense in the natural unless you understand that we've made a covenant and a commitment to people. The people that we will send out, we're going to make the same commitment to them. And we don't make it lightly. We take it very, very seriously. Here the king asked, is there, is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lost his father and grandfather when he was about five years old. His nurse dropped him because she was afraid and running away. And he became crippled for the rest of his life. I have to be honest with you, when I was growing up, um, every story that came about, I always put myself in the strongest person's position. There was a story going on, I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be the main character, whoever I thought the main character was, whoever I thought the strongest superhero was, that's who I wanted to be. And this story, if you read through this, you can kind of look at it in, in yourself and go, man, King David. Yes, and you can learn many lessons by putting yourself in King David's place here. 
If you've made a covenant, you should be looking for ways to show God's kindness to people. You should be looking for it. But you know what I've learned more and more in life? The truth is, is I'm more like Mephibosheth than I am King David. I'm the one that's been broken. I'm the one that was crippled and didn't have a right walk with the Lord. Whether you're here today and it's through your own sin and hard-heartedness, or in this case, it's through someone else's fear that has damaged you, through someone else's sin, I can encourage you today that you can learn from the story of Mephibosheth. He was crippled in both feet. Let's take a look at verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. The word Lodabar there, it's a word that means no pasture. There was not a place of provision. There was nothing that was being kind to him. And the king of all the land of Israel called for a crippled man to be brought from a place where there was no pasture. Come on, is this, is this preaching to you? I'm just, reading, I'm just reading the story, but is this getting to you yet? Are you understanding what's going on? When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth! See the exclamation point there? I love that God greets us with joy. It's in the McClintock and Strong that it actually says that the name Mephibosheth means exterminator of shame. <laughs> Come on, have you ever felt ashamed because you, you knew that you were crippled? You, you were worried that other people would look at only that about you? Yeah, you don't know where I've come from. I, I come from the wrong kind of background. I come from the wrong side of the tracks. I come from the wrong, the wrong heritage. I come from a whole lot of wrongness. I, I feel like I'm crippled in my walk. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Mephibosheth! Hey man, don't you worry about that because we're going to exterminate that shame. It doesn't maybe not change where you came from, but what it does is it changes your perspective. It changes the benefit that you get from where you came from. He's an exterminator of shame. Your servant, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him. Let me speak to you today. Say, don't be afraid. Amen. Our king will show you kindness. If you will but respond properly to him. How did, how did Mephibosheth respond? servant you're faithful you've lavished kindness upon me look at verse 8 Mephibosheth bowed down and said what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me Lord I have nothing good enough of myself to bring before you look at verse 11 then Ziba said to the king your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do it's almost like the lord will keep his covenant of love for a thousand generations to those who love him and obey his commands. So Mephibosheth ate at, king's, at, at David's table like one of the king's sons. Folks, India was an incredible time. It was incredible. I can't wait to take some of you with me when I go back. I can't wait for that. This church is involved not only in India. We've made commitments in other places and we will keep our commitments. We will keep them. Amen. Maybe you need to move from a dating kind of relationship to something that's more permanent with the Lord. Because our king is the one who does exactly like what King David did with Mephibosheth. He takes us, he exterminates our shame, and he treats us like one of his own sons. 
How silly for King David. There's nothing logical about this. He takes someone who is an enemy to his household and puts him at his table. He treats him like a son. Mephibosheth forever lived in Jerusalem so that he could be at the king's table every day. What about you today? What about you? Do you need to come to the king's table? Do you need to acknowledge that you're broken? That you're crippled without him? But that he will put you at his table? Come on, would you stand with me today as we close in prayer?